Hi, my name is Ben and welcome to Field and Foley episode 19. Today I'm thrilled to have Shirley Spikes join us. Shirley is a musician, sound designer and audio engineer specializing in spatial audio and immersive soundscapes. From winning MIT's reality virtually hackathon to founding Virtuo Studios, her journey, uh, her journey from Jerusalem to Boston has been defined by a passion for VR, technology and immersive experiences. Join us as we delve into Shirley's insightful journey in music and spatial audio. Welcome, Shirley, and thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me here. So the first thing I'd like to ask, because I have a lot of listeners that are not like experts in the audio field, can you maybe quickly explain what spatial audio is? Wow. Um, spatial audio. It became one of the most like triggering terms in the industry because I've seen so many people try to define it and everyone have a different definition of what it means. If you talk to Apple people or Dolby people or Oculus people, everyone is going to give you a completely different answer to what it is, which is so interesting for me. Uh, I would say that broadly speaking, spatial audio is the technology of trying to mimic how we perceive sound in real reality, let's call it. Um, that means that we're using all sorts of different algorithms that are trying to process the sound to sound like it is in a real space. Nice. Okay, yeah. That sounds that sounds like I could understand that if I'm not in the audio field. Right, so Dolby would take it to a place where they would try to make the cinema experience more immersive. For VR and AR devices, it's going to be more about where the sound is coming from in relation to your head. And for other mediums, it could mean something completely different. Yeah, uh, I agree. It depends on the medium. I mean, if you have like the the ambisonics recordings and you have um, stuff like hat tracking in Apple devices that like move sounds around while you're moving your head. Yeah, and on the same time, you have the Apple head headphones that also have spatial audio enabled in them. And what does that exactly mean? Yeah. <laughs> so it means that they're trying to render the sound in a more immersive way and not just left and right. But it will be completely different from any other company that is trying to do the same. So... Uh, as I said, everyone is finding how to define it differently based on their needs. But in the end of the day, it's just trying to mimic what reality is already doing. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And so, I mean, if you have like a, let's let's call it a 3D audio experience where sounds are not like fixed in a fixed position, but moving depending on how you move. Um, how do you record for spatial audio experiences? We have a few different methods of recording for this. You did mention 3D audio, and there is a difference between 3D audio and spatial audio. Um, mm. Let's go into that, yeah. Yeah, so 3D audio is when you have, imagine if you had an image and you want to present that image in 3D, what would you do? You would present two different images, each one for a different eye, and then when you combine them together, your brain sees the parallax, meaning the difference between those two images, and it can tell that this actually has depth right? Yeah. Like this is how we perceive depth. So how would we perceive depth in terms of audio? If you can actually um, separate the both ears, so one ear would hear one mix and the other one would hear a different mix, then your brain is going to perceive it as something that is three-dimensional. 
So actually the separation of left and right between our ears, which is usually done by earphones, can get you the result of 3D audio. Now, the way we record the 3D audio, that's an interesting part, is using a microphone that is called a binaural microphone. And that microphone is actually shaped like a head. So it has the shoulders and the ears and the face of like someone who looks like an actual person, but it's all made out of plastic. And then based on the shape of the ear and based on the position of the body, we can actually record sound through two different microphones and make it sound like you're in the room recording it in real time. So this is 3D audio. Yeah, that's a wonderful explanation. It's also cool. Um, also for my listeners who are listening on, on not on headphones, uh, maybe listen on headphones because the intro is in binaural recording. So maybe you get some different experience from that. And there are a lot of different recordings on YouTube that you can find. Like if you just look for 3D audio, this technology existed for so many years. And the most prominent example that I know of is Tom York that used it for one of his, uh, the recording of his albums. And actually some of the critics said that it sounds like you're in the room with him, listening to him playing on the piano for you. Because that's actually what happened. He just put one of those dummies next to, um, next to his piano and recorded a song this way. So it gets us a way more realistic image, but that image is still bound to where our head is. Yeah. That means that if we turn left or right, the image is going to sound exactly the same. The next part about it, the part that turns it from a 3D audio to 360 audio is either omnibinaural audio, which is adding more and more layers of that binaural recording, or adding uh, HRTF, which is head-related transfer function. So this is usually a device or a tracker uh, that can check where your head position is and adjust the mix based on where your head is. Yeah, that's nice. I also have like an, an ambisonics mic and uh, going into like the ambisonics spear, uh, spear. But also the problem is always a bit for me that, uh, like you said, like there's so many different uh, definitions of um, spatial audio, 3D audio, immersive audio, whatever you want to call it. Right. And then you have all those limitations. For example, of course, when you have these binaural recordings that only works with in-ear headphones um, or headphones, good headphones, but then you can't move your head. So that doesn't work as well. And if you have like an ambisonics 3D microphone, it's pretty good uh, if you have a decent one. But still, then you have not the same, I would say, realness or feel to it like a binaural experience. So it's it's always, I feel it's always just on the cusp of being great. And it's, yeah, still in its infant shoes. For me, I feel like too many people are focusing on the technology itself and not on the use of it. Meaning all of them can be used in different ways, but we're so stuck on like, I want to make it cool and I want to make it awesome using this new technology that we don't think about the outcome and the result and how to use it in a creative way. So for me, it's about more about using that as a means to an end. So ambisonic recording that you mentioned before, just to explain to those who don't know, uh, when we look at mono recording, that's usually one track. When we look at stereo, it's two tracks and ambisonic starts at four tracks because it also has the pitch and the yaw. So it has all the directionality of where your head is and it requires more information in the audio channel. So it starts at four, it goes all the way up to 32 and even more channels than this and all the way up to Dolby Atmos, which is about 50 channels per mix. Um, 
But I usually use ambisonic recordings to kind of set the mood. I don't use it for particular sound design for a character or for a gunshot, but I will use it to create an environment that feels like it's surrounding you. And every time you move, it's a little bit different and a little bit alive, more alive than just putting a 2D recording, which is stereo. Yeah, I agree. I do this, the same thing. I use it for the, the general ambiences and also for like stuff, um, especially in a video game where you can walk a few a few feet, um, at least in like first person games or in, right. in in games where you have a lot of movement. If you have a uh, ambisonics recording, that's cool because you can turn around and everything changes according to your position. But then when you start to walk towards that sound source, um, yeah, it doesn't get you. You can't really zoom in that much. So, so if you're looking at Gaming Engine, I see Ambisonic Recording as kind of like a skybox of the game. Mm, correct. So yeah, if you have same. tried a skybox, it's kind of like, it's always there. It's yeah. not really moving, uh, but it does give you the sense and the vibe and the feeling. On top of that, you will build more layers, but that's going to be your basic layer that you start with. Uh, and in gaming engines, usually I would actually use a spatializer that is within the engine and not use binaural or uh, Ambisonics. Yeah, correct. I mean, you need you need more control than just like the position, but because maybe those stuff move or maybe they change over time. You have filters and stuff like that. One hundred percent. And yeah, I, I use it the same time. I use it as the general. Yeah, like you said, skybox is a good good term for it, like a skybox for your ear. Um, and uh, yeah, then fill it out. But uh, yeah, going back a bit to the recording. I mean, um, I I spoken in this podcast about a, the, with a few people, with people that do foley, for example which is usually um, either in stereo for, for movies if you have a specific sound to it or also in mono. And uh, for video games, oftentimes you use mono recordings because you need to place them somewhere in engine. Um, how do you record like for spatial audio? I mean, Foley especially, for example. Um, as I said, I don't really record Foley using spatial audio, but if I would want to, I would do that with an ambisonic microphone that have more than two cores inside of it. So basically what it does is that it records on cardioid side on both sides. And then when they tilt the cores, you actually get the different directionalities. And the more cores there are inside the microphone, the more it knows where the sound is coming from. So you can tell really good locations of sound objects in space uh, using ambisonic recording. But what I actually mostly do is I record with a Zoom recording and then I would use a Spatializer plugin in order to determine where it's coming from in the space. Oh, nice. So sometimes when you're recording with a Zoom recorder, you have two microphones on it and sometimes you weren't exactly in front of the sound or sometimes it's really hard to get to where the origin of the sound is and it's a little bit unbalanced. So I use the Spatializer plugins in order to balance my sound. That makes sense. Yeah, I'm I'm mostly running around with a shotgun microphone, trying to get like uh, just the distance uh, right, and then have it mono, and then place it in engine. So, um, what if the sound is coming from the right, and your yeah. shotgun mic didn't really catch that? Yeah, that's correct. So it's only for like stuff like footsteps, for example, the own footsteps, which will always be in kind of the same distance and position. Um, but yeah, still that that one would also be probably better in. Mm, yeah, <laughs> you gave you give me you gave me something to think about. That's interesting. Um, yeah, maybe while we're on the topic, what are some other common misconceptions people have about like spatial or, or surround audio or whatever we want to call it? 
Usually when people are creating spatial environments, I'm noticing many times that they would try to use synthesizers. And for me, it's very important to connect between real sounds that are recorded, uh, either you want to call them Foley or organic sounds, uh, together with a synthesizer. And I'll explain why. Because spatial audio requires us to understand and locate where a sound is coming from. Our brain cannot simply doesn't have the ability to understand if a sine wave is coming from a location because there's not enough harmonic content for our brain to say, oh yeah, it's coming from this side or that side. So for me, it's always about connecting between the real sound that has a little bit more saturations and harmonics in it with a virtual sound that is coming from a synthesizer. And going back to what I said in the beginning, that spatial audio is understanding how our world really works and try to recreate that or mimic that or use that technology in order to tell a user something. So in that term, the more you record and the more you listen to the sound that you recorded, you'll get a better understanding of how nature works and how sound works in nature. And then you'll be able to build better environments. Yeah, and I agree, I agree with you there because, um, yeah, as I already mentioned in our warm-up session, I'm I'm a huge fan of like the recording part of it, and um, especially with, like you said, with synthesizers, what works rather well is like if you want to have something sound a bit more realistic, that you use the sounds, play them over, speak in a real room, and record that. Um, but of course, that's limited to whatever room you're using. If it's like a uh, like an experience, like a movie, for example, that works rather well. But for video games, of course, the room and the reverb and everything can change. But those like kind of re-recording sessions really make them feel more grounded in the real world and make them feel more tangible. Um, yeah. So what I wanted to know from you is how you first like got interested in the, the whole immersive sound and spatial sound. Oh, that's a great question. Uh, I started. Let's see. I've been a musician my entire life. I started playing when I was about three or four years old. I don't really remember the start, but uh, I never stopped. And I'm one of those people that once every couple of years I find something and I say, this is the coolest shit ever and everyone should be obsessed about this. So I become obsessed about this. And then, uh, so it started with what was it, rock music, and then I found out about orchestral music, and then I found out about film scoring, and for me it was like all the music that I'm used to from home, all the Bach and Beethoven and Mozart that I grew up on, but now it's in a film with a lot of explosions and superheroes, and suddenly everyone wants to watch it, and I thought that that was the most awesome thing ever. And then I got introduced to video games, and after that I actually moved to Boston, and I didn't know anyone around, and I kind of like tried to find my place around there. So what I did is I joined a lot of different hackathons, and one of them have turned out to be the biggest AR and VR hackathon in the world. Back then it was called Reality Virtually. Nowadays we're calling we're calling it MIT Reality Hack. It's actually happening in three three weeks from now, two weeks from now. Uh, you should check the website. It's just called MIT Reality Hack. Uh, this year I'm coming as a judge, actually, and as a mentor for spatial audio. So I came to the hackathon. I didn't know anything about the technology. I didn't know Oculus. I didn't know HTC. Nothing. I was completely lost. But I knew that I know sound and music, and many people need sound and music in their video games. So I was just ready to offer myself as a sound designer. And I realized that not everyone is doing projects that require sound. Like I'm used to hackathons that are all about video games and then it's very easy to tell where people need you. But when they're building an app based on, I don't know, blockchain 
in VR, I'm like, how am I supposed to write music for this? I don't even know what blockchain is. So I look at a guy and he said, wait, you're a musician. So maybe, maybe you build something around, I don't know, maybe you move your hands and sound is coming out. I said, what, like a, like a theremin? He said, yeah, yeah. Like, why don't you just build a theremin? And I said, why build a theremin if you can build a virtual symphony orchestra that every time you lift your hands, 80 people are playing together and that's going to be awesome and massive because I stood on those stages. I was a conductor. So I know the feeling of just standing where the conductor stands and just moving two hands up and an entire symphony plays together. And I thought, okay, you know what? Yeah, I have that project. Let's build it. And in a matter of three days, we won the hackathon. Awesome. And that's what started my journey into this world. So by that point, I already knew a lot about symphonic music and about how to write music for films and for dramatic effects. But I was completely lost on synthesizers. I said, if anyone gives me a challenge of writing music for a space battle, I'm lost. I don't know where to even begin to look for information about this. Or like, what can actually produce that type of a sound? So that started my journey of trying to understand more what is out there in terms of sounds and what are the possibilities. And I switched my degree from film scoring to electronic productions. And through that, I also started just learning everything I could about AR and VR technology. And back then, there wasn't a lot of information. There were definitely no books about this. So a lot of it was looking through research studies that were done either in MIT or in other universities about what even is spatial audio, who have tried to recreate this, uh, technology from the 70s for binaural sound. Um, So it was a lot of trying to figure out by myself what is out there. And it took me years to actually come up with a definition for spatial audio because there are so many different definitions for it. So I'm... Out of all of that, when I I actually have finished building that game, uh, the Virtual Reality Symphony Orchestra, but I haven't released it, unfortunately. There is a game of a Virtual Reality Symphony Orchestra that you can conduct. That's not my game, unfortunately. Okay. Unfortunately, that's not my game because I finished it and then I had problems with my visa and I had to find a job. It was during COVID. So luckily magically stepped up and said, do you want to join our team? And I said, okay, sure. What does that entail? And by that point, Magic Leap was working on the second headset that was uh, Magic Leap 2. So I already knew the first headset. I knew it was something new. It was augmented reality, not virtual reality. And that means that the space around you is not disappearing like in virtual reality. It stays there. And the little character or creatures or whatever you have in your experience are part of the real world that you have. That means if you have a Pikachu, it can know that there is a table and there is a chair and it can jump between them. So I'm like, okay, I've never done anything like this. I've done some like phone apps, but okay, okay, let's give this a shot. And I learned a lot about how to build immersive experiences when you have to think about reality as a factor. Meaning reality does not disappear. It's always there and you have to respect it. And you have to respect that there are rules to reality. Yeah. That you can't really overwrite like you do with virtual reality. So uh, yeah, that's where I am today. Uh, like I, I got to ship Magic Leap 2 and work on the operating system, on the apps that we have, on implementing the sounds and also on recording 
all of the different small interactions that are on the device. That's that's a very interesting field to go on. And um, I mean, you you briefly mentioned now, like on the operating system, you you worked on the operating system. Do you can you maybe share a bit of light of what what sound plays a role in in an operating system for a spatial experience? Certainly. So we already have some operating systems that we're using every day. We have either the Mac system or the PC system. You have the phones and Androids. And a lot of them have problems. Let's call it <laughs> yes. problems. Problems. We all, know, we all know the problems. We all feel yeah. the problems. We all feel the pain of those devices every day. What we're trying to do now with those new set of devices is to launch a new era where we learn from the mistakes that we've made on phones and get into a new world where devices don't work against us, but they work with us. So for ex a lot of my study went into what, what are the pain points when you look at a phone or when you listen to a phone? And I started asking people, like, where did your phone let you down, especially in terms of audio? And I heard a lot of different answers. For example, if you connect a Bluetooth device, it never knows if the Bluetooth device is a headphone or a large speaker that is in the other room. So it will tell you, oh, yeah, you should reduce the volume, even though you're not li really listening to it with headphones. And it has no way of knowing this. Uh, you get notifications coming in. So notifications are sounds that are supposed to get our attention. They're designed to get our attention away from what we're doing and look at our phone right now. Now, some notifications are more important than others. We know that. Why do I have the same sound when my mom calls or when the Uber app got an update? Mm -hmm. Like, how is this in the same urgency? So most of the people decide to put their phone on silent mode. And for me, if someone put their phone on silent mode, that means that the sound designer failed their job because the sound was too annoying, too in their face, and it shouldn't be there because it's not needed at all. So when we're looking at the new set of devices that we're bringing, how can I give you a notification or how can I alert you that something is going on without taking your focus from what you're doing right now? How can I tell you, hey, by the way, you need to... I don't know, pick up the groceries or you need to pay your bills, but without really taking you away from what you're doing right now. So that's one challenge of developing that operating system. The other one is that we have new systems that we haven't seen on phones. For example, we have iris scan that can scan your eye and that way open the device. So how do you tell a user, I'm going to scan your eye now in, in case of, instead of uh, scanning your finger? Um, I'm going to scan, I don't know, I'm going to scan when you're winking so I can tell what is going on, or I'm going to activate voice activation and you can actually speak to your device. So there are all sorts of different inputs and outputs that you have to think about and how they work together. Meaning, let's say you're in an app, let's say, I don't know, Spotify and Audible. Those are two apps that has to do with sound. What happened if you launch both of those apps in the same time? Which one are you going to hear? And then let's say you're listening to Spotify and suddenly a message is coming in and you hear the notification sound, but is it going to like blend into the song? No, what actually happened is that you have a ducking system that is taking that sound down off Spotify, give you the message, and then Spotify continue plays, playing as normal. If Audible does it, by the way, because it's voice and not, and not music, the sound is actually going to stop. So Audible knows that if you get a message, it has to stop the Audible book that you're hearing, mm -hmm. 
let you hear the message and only then continue the book as normal. Yeah, I, yeah, that's something I, I also realized, uh, which was which was really nice for me, like having this stop instead of the ducking. But both are like um, not Spotify? ideal. Uh, yeah, yeah, on Spotify having having not the pause and on Audible having having the pause. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I can feel your pain because my phone is on silent all the time, exactly for that reason. Um, I, I try to play around with it. I have an Android phone and I have some kind of like, yeah, settings. That because I can... it's too much. It's yeah, way it's too much. much. Yeah. It's trying to get our attention, but it doesn't, it doesn't do that anymore. Because the more you hear a sound, the more it just becomes a pattern. And then you're like, oh, it's that sound again. You're not even alerted by it. So it failed its mission. Yeah, absolutely. And then you, I mean, either you look on your phone all the time and that's something I want to avoid. That's why I put it in silent and have like certain times where I check my phone or certain times where I just put it away so I don't like, I don't see it at all. But of course, it could be something very important and uh, it would be nice to have those kinds of settings. And as I said, like I have some some kind of control over it, but then you have all those apps and all those apps might make their their own notification system or might not integrate with your like, please give me just priority message app or whatever you have it. So yeah, it's it's still a mess. I feel like sound is such like a hidden gem to touch when you're building mm. different apps. This is something that a lot of people ignore or they only think about this last. They're like, oh, I just need to give a notification to a user. And they don't think about, do I need the user's attention for this? Do I need to the user to even know about this? And if I need the user's attention... Is giving him the same notification time after time after time is the right way to do that? Because usually the way to get our attention is to do something abnormal, not to do something that is repetitive. The more something is repetitive, the more our brain is like, oh, you know what? I can tune out of this. I don't even care. Yeah, especially if you have to get those notifications and every time you check, it's like an update for an app where you're like, I don't care about this right now. So then you stop, you stop listening to it or, or turn it off. Exactly. So I'm trying to find all the pain points that we already have with phones and one by one, try to come up with new and creative ways to fix them using sound. That's an cool. interesting challenge. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very, very cool challenge and will take you a bit of time, I guess, <laughs> and a team probably. I'll, I'll tell you what, I never thought that my career is going to take me there. I honestly imagine being a composer in Hollywood or maybe a composer in a video game. And now I'm a sound designer for operating systems, so that's an interesting transition. But, you know, life is full of surprises. Absolutely, and you, you go with the flow and see where life takes you, and most of the time then it's it's going to be some some good place when you're following you. Yeah, I hope that in a few years we'll talk and I'll tell you, oh, no, I found this new thing, and it's, like, <laughs> way cooler than anything we ever talked about, so, like, forget about that. <laughs> no, I built saddles for electric horses. Yeah, Maybe something or something, like I don't know. <laughs> Saddles for electric horses. I have no idea. I just came up with the most ridiculous <laughs> thing I could think of. Um, um, but speaking, going a bit uh, back um, to the to the hackathon, um, I've also seen like an interview with uh, where you mentioned that it was rather easy to get into VR as it was like a new field and uh, yeah, as you couldn't essentially you couldn't make anything wrong because there were no rules, no guidelines, no like no ceiling. Um, it's true. And I just it's wanted. True. To, I still feel that. Yeah, and I just wanted to ask you, uh, how's your situation now? You still feel that it's still like in its infancy? I mean, we have some commercial success, but then we also have had like this, I would call almost call it like the downfall of VR, where nothing really is happening. Um, because like after, I mean, for me personally, the, the highlight was the was the, the index from Ralph. Right. And the first time I had that headset on, especially because of the sound, you had this nice system where it's the 
you don't have in-ear headphones, you have like over-ear headphones hovering away from your ears. So when someone walks into a room and speaks with you, you can actually hear them clearly and you don't like sweat under your headphones. And if you have like a, we had like a voice call and Discord and we're playing multiplayer games so we could high-five each other and talk to each other. And especially during um, during the pandemic, that was just like amazing, an amazing experience. Um, but yeah, after that, I feel like there hasn't been a lot of new things. There have been a, been a bit of interesting experiments here and there, but nothing on the broad market. So I feel like VR, this was a realization that I had to come with, but I feel like the industry is getting there bit by bit. Uh, Magic Leap is definitely already there, but I'm seeing other companies realizing the same thing that uh, I realized, which is VR cannot be a cool thing. I'm sorry. We tried to make it cool. We tried to make it awesome for you guys. We tried to build whatever we could to make it the most awesome experience you've ever had. And what we found out is that people don't buy cool stuff. They just don't. I'm sorry. That's the reality of it. Because if I show you Disney World in your own house, you're going to say, that's awesome. I'm going to ask, okay, are you going to do this again? Oh, no, no, no. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe I'll invite my brother to try that. But that's basically it. No one wanted to use that. I ran an entire VR lab at Berkeley College of Music, and it was free for all the students. Anyone could just come and play whatever they wanted. I had a Steam account with so many different games that I could buy for students, and they would try it once. They would play Beat Saber for 10 minutes, and then that was about it. That's horrible. And then they would complain that there are not enough VR games. Of course. <laughs> yeah, of course. Every time. Oh, man. But what I realize is that we try to make it into a theme park. We try to actually recreate Disney World in your own house. People don't buy Disney World. What people do buy is functional things that help them throughout the day. Imagine if I showed you a phone and I only showed you Angry Birds. And you would have said, okay, that's a cool touchscreen console that I can take with me. Yeah. Cool game for the kids, but I don't know if I'm going to invest the money in it, especially when a new one is coming out constantly. So I don't even know if it's going to have backwards compatibility. So now we're finding out, especially with AR maturing, we're finding out that we don't need to make it cool. We need to make it functional. We need to make it into something that actually solves a problem for someone. And this is something that I say every year in that same hackathon that I'm going to go to in two weeks. Why VR? That's the first question that you should be asking yourself. Or why AR? Why am I using this new medium? And why is this new medium better than anything that existed beforehand? And there are reasons why it is better and why it is helpful. The reason why you don't really hear about a lot of new things happening in AR and VR is mostly because it's happening on the enterprise level. Mm, yeah. So when we're looking at factories, when we're looking at pilots and doctors, this is where the key performance of those devices come in hand because this actually solves a need that they have. And the idea is that maybe if they adopt this, then maybe the rest of humans will adopt this as well. <laughs> yeah, I've seen those those kind of like high uh, quality and high priced things like of course just from videos not from not from personal experience but and I see that there's so much potential to, to this technology and I also feel the pain of like people coming in trying it once and then saying hey, there's no no cool VR games which I strongly disagree but I'm <laughs> I'm also like I'm a I'm an enthusiast for everything that is immersive um that's that's what I what first like drove me to playing video games is the feeling of 
being in another world and influencing it and and experiencing like stories and interesting getting interesting emotions from a from a real artist that like wrote this piece um that was always like in my mind of course now I know it was like a team of 200 people probably making that game but it like this these <laughs> uh, like these personal experiences that you can have like with reading a book as well but this interaction the interaction part was always always strong for me so for me like VR was was amazing i mean i tried so many different things i tried then also breaking it in in interesting ways or for example like i like i mentioned when i played with my friends i we used to play a lot of no man's sky so i used to just put a chair behind me so whenever i was running around on a planet i was standing up and actually moving my arms and when i was sitting down in a spaceship i was physically sitting down and that sensation of sitting in a spaceship was so like weird and and fun and all those kinds of like yeah those kinds of things I feel like something is happening in the world where people don't want to be immersed anymore. Like I, I, I'm with you on that feeling and I love being immersed in something. And especially like if it's a good book or a good movie or something that like just makes you forget about reality for a second and, you know, cry with a character or laugh with a character when something happens. Um, and I feel like humanity is like moving away from this in a sort of way. I wrote a Medium article about this, about how the music scene changed over time, because I don't know what you're used to, Ben, but I'm used to buying albums. And <laughs> yeah, I remember same. the feeling of holding that album in my hand, waiting until I get home, put it in my CD player, and then listen to an hour of music. Mm. Beginning to end, where during this hour, you cry and you laugh and you're disappointed or you you have actual emotions that are not your emotions. But as you said, someone else wrote a story and you're going through someone's story. And we change that structure of listening to albums and we still have a collection of songs, only now we call it playlist. And now the playlist is not telling you a story. The playlist is designed to accompany what you're already doing. So it's more like the AR of the world rather than the immersive VR side of things of like going into someone else's experience. Yeah, it's like functional music, like workout playlists and playlists to study too, and study yeah. and workout and <laughs> yeah. uh, cooking and uh, yeah. having friends over music playlists. Mm -hmm. Chill and fun and the weekend. So it doesn't tell any story. No one wants to hear a story. Everyone just want to put it in the background and just listen to it. I mean, I'm guessing a bit of that is probably still the backlash from all the isolation during COVID because, I mean, you, you have seen that with like with live music and with concerts or with parties that people really bounce back into the other direction and were well more outgoing than they were before because they missed it so much. And I'm my personal thinking is that it might bounce back a bit again, but yeah, t only time can tell. But also, like on on the topic of like having music in a playlist, um, I'm also used to that album, and I still take my time with like artists. When I when I discover an artist and I really like them, I buy the album um, mostly probably on Bandcamp or wherever they have them. Sometimes I still physical. listen to full albums. Yeah, and I, me too. And I just wanted to say I, I take my time and listen to them, but I also appreciate the I would say like functional music to accompany me some sometime like to running or to cooking or to something else to just have something that enhances the mood or but it's not for me it's not like real music yeah i mean it is music but it's not like the point of music it's more like this i have nice songs that i know that make me feel good and i use them for a purpose not to experience the music but i i like both of those but um yeah i'm i'm 
yeah, I don't know if that's something that has changed. Yeah, I don't know if it's good or bad, but I'm just saying it, it, it is what it is. And I feel like maybe VR didn't have the place to succeed because we just don't want to be immersed. Like the part that I loved about VR is the fact that it has no ads, it has no stops, mm. it has no notification, no one is bothering you, you're alone in your own world, you know, other people can see you and they can see that you're wearing a giant thing on your head, so <laughs> they would hopefully back off. I did have people that like jump scare you in VR, but usually people are mindful enough to just let you play your VR experience. Um, and nothing gave me that clarity of going through an experience without any disturbance, without anything going wrong. Mm. Um, so for me, that's the part that I love, but I feel like a lot of people are running away from this and they're saying, okay, that was kind of cool. What else? Did and like, they're trying to communicate with the outsiders as they're in VR because they're too aware of how they look in VR what are the other people doing in the room? As you said, like, I need to hear if there's another person with me. So God forbid you put noise canceling headphones on me. God forbid. Uh, not only that, we even developed the technology for open air earphones. So basically you can hear the entire environment and the mix in the same time, because God forbid I'll miss something from the outside <laughs> world. You I always get your have point, to be yeah. present. Yeah, I get your point. I mean, I, I really like that and I have those immersive experiences for me. It was more like a practical thing because the VR space was right next to a door. So when I hear the door open, so no one will bump into me. <laughs> uh, so that, that was nice about the index. But I agree. I mean, I'm, I'm really also into into like really shutting down and having this stuff. And I'm, I'm seeing the same that people... Yeah, maybe just like with, with streaming services, they like to consume one after the other and... Like you said, there's no good VR games just means you have played a lot of things for five minutes and are already bored because you're used to like scrolling through TikTok or just binging series after series. Maybe maybe that's the current style of things. I have no idea. I hope it I hope it changes again. I feel like there is still a crowd of people that enjoy like like let's call it long content or continuous content. Yeah. That is not changing every three seconds. I hope that there is still a crowd for this. I know that I'm one of those people for sure. I'm pretty sure they are, they are out there and it's probably more than we think because they are not posting about it. They are rather reading a book or that is so like being true. immersed. <laughs> so that is the, the vocal true. minority are the people that post and are online. So uh, yeah, so speaking a bit more maybe a bit more about the audio part again um, of this technology. It doesn't doesn't matter too much to me if it's like virtual reality or augmented reality or mixed reality or <laughs> whatever else term we can come up with uh, in the next years. But um, is there something like specific technological advancement that excites you? Or is it like, do you want to find, with what we have now, to find interesting ways of, of using it and making it, as you said, like practical so people are going to use it? I would want to see more creative use of this technology. I'm seeing that right now it's more about trying to make things cool rather than actually try to implement them and integrate them in the correct way. So one thing that I would love to see more is spatial audio implementation of things like podcasts, um, things like social apps. So by social apps, I mean like apps that you have few people in the same time, like Zoom, like Skype, that can use that spatialization well. 
Uh, plus, I would love to see more usage of like, how can you utilize that power in video games? For example, if I can put sounds behind you or in front of you to tell you that something is going on, um, that could be a very good use for it. And secondly, as I said, just integrate sounds that doesn't go against us, but go with us. So if we're looking at notification, can I actually change the sound to be lower pitch or higher pitch based on, let's say, the battery level that you have? Can I change the, or based on the urgency? Yeah, things like that. So uh, how can I use the nuance, the small nuance of sound? Because our ears are so tuned to it all the time. And how can I deliver better messages using that? Yeah, so your approach to designing sound is really like from uh, using the technology we have and, and getting into yeah an actual practical use or or more interesting creative uses that we haven't tried before. I'll, I'll give you an example. Mo many times when people talk to me about spatial audio, the first thing that they tell me is, what's the problem? Something is far away, it's quiet. Something is close to me, it's louder. That's it, I cracked <laughs> the code. And I'm like, wow, this is so true. What if you're looking and interacting with that thing that is far away, but the thing that is close to you, you don't even care about this because you need that thing that is far away. So why does my mix need to emphasize the thing that is right next to me and not the thing that is very far away from me? Yeah. So this is more about like, what do you actually interact with? Not what is physically closer to you. And we can create environments that are way more nuanced than the one that we have in reality. Uh, what if you were in a party and there are 50 people, but you don't care to hear those 50 people. You care to hear the person that is right in front of you right now and remove that cocktail effect that we're all familiar with. So there is so much more to it than just putting a sound in space. Or what if a sound is behind you, but it's trying to get your attention because it needs you to look on the back right now? Or what if I want you to turn left, but I don't want to use the word left because that is a word in English, and then I will have to translate my app to so many different languages. So I don't want to use the word left, but I want to tell you using sound cues Please turn your head to the left side. How would you do that? How would you take someone's attention and move it throughout space? So for me, those use cases are way more interesting than which spatializer you used or, uh, you know, oh, everything is mixed in this Dolby experience that has 50 different speakers. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree what you mean. And it's also, it's also cool to see that it's happening uh, with that technology, just like with other technologies before. I mean, when, when the mouse first was invented, there were they had no idea what they, what it has been used for what it's been used for now and um yeah also speaking of the of the directional stuff that's something that's that I always like to show people when when friends or family are visiting my studio I try to show them what binaural sound is and I have this one very popular thing where it's a knock that is right behind you slightly to the left it's like a knock on a door mm -hmm. and the cool thing is that the reverb in this recording almost matches my space perfectly so I sit them down, I put the headphones on and they turn around and look at the wall and they're like, just shocked. Like, what the fuck? And I was like, yeah, that was in the headphones. And like, what? And so this, this direction thing is something that is, I'm guessing, pretty underutilized um, in, in steering. Yeah. We had an experience with Magic Leap. Uh, one of the first experiences that we shipped with the Magic Leap 2 was a demo of spatial audio to explain what our spatializer can do. And part of the demo, we put a recording of an iPhone ringtone, just the most generic iPhone ringtone. 
everyone who went through that experience, even if they didn't have an iPhone, I swear, looked at their pockets. Yeah. <laughs> the sound didn't even come from the pocket, but psychologically, we're thinking of that sound and we're like, oh, someone is looking for me. When it's real and it's working, it's, it's everything. Yeah, I used it once with like a vibrating um, mobile phone sound because... A lot of people it. have it on vibrate and yeah, yeah, we have that on the table and people are searching for the fo for the phone. That's awesome. Oh my God. I should use that yeah. as a prank in parties. Yeah, that is, that is amazing. What I would do with people with uh, binaural recordings is I'll put binaural microphone inside their own ears. They're like really small microphones that you can put inside the ear. And then I would tell them, just go around the house, knock on things, open things, just make sounds, whatever. And then, and then I'll render this on the computer and tell them, okay, now put the headphones and listen to it through the computer. And they're like, oh my God, this is me, but I'm not there. I'm here now. And what's going on? How can I hear myself doing something? And it completely breaks everything they knew about sound. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. I have those too. I have like, uh, uh, I would say, uh, decent the ones Sennheiser? that you can put uh, in here. No, uh, unfortunately, just just the Roland ones, but uh, still they're okay for the price, like 80 bucks or something. Oh. I just wanted to try it out. Um, but they're really, I mean, they're okay. It's not like perfect sound, but it's it's cool to try and to experiment with them. And uh, yeah, that's that's something that's that's always fascinating to me. And I, interesting enough, just like you mentioned, like binaural audio has been has been there f like forever, but hasn't been really like utilized that much. I mean, I've seen when I first started getting into binaural audio, I was like perplexed to not find more games having an option to just right? turn it on and have your headphones on because a lot of single player games are played with people with headphones. Why not make it great? I mean, of course, now I know that's like, it's not that easy to just slap it in there, but still, I mean, uh, yeah, so many things that I found was then I found a uh, recording of an album from maybe over 15 years ago or something where it was like in, an, in a bar it was kind of a folks country album kind of style and it was so amazing the recording it was so realistic um, and it made me just yeah wonder why there isn't more of that stuff that is a very good question I know with ambisonics not with binaural but with the 360 mm. sound I remember in college we got so much equipment to try to create 360 music and 360 recordings. Um, and I remember even back then thinking that it's kind of weird because I don't imagine anyone listening to music on the train and kind of rotating their head around to say like, oh my God, this is so cool. The sound is coming from so many different places. That never really happened. So it was a cool gimmick, but listening to songs was weird that way i think the only time that we listened to a song and it was really cool and we really wanted to do that was i think we heard bohemian rhapsody oh, mixed in ambisonics that's awesome but that was mainly cool because you know the song you know every little thing in that song so suddenly hearing it in a spatial environment made you feel like oh my god this is what i know but now it's so much better for independent artists i don't know if i would recommend using spatial audio for their music because again, this is kind of like a skybox. It puts you in an environment, but it, it's a very good question of what you're trying to achieve with this technology. Yeah, absolutely. The only the only good examples really that I've heard were, were just just binaural recordings, and it was like that. That also brings some caveats because you can't like lie down on your couch because um, at least for me that made it feel like a bit weird because I was obviously like standing in a crowd in front of a 
in front of a stage. So that felt like a body disconnect. Right. But when I was sitting down, um, that felt like, yeah, sitting in that in that room and hearing that band play. So that was pretty cool. But as you said, as, as soon as you get up and turn your head around, that ruins the experience. So it's a very narrow field where it's interesting. And also recording has to be really, really good and really mixed great. I had a different experience where I tried playing VR on a train mm. and then the train turned. Oh. And my entire mix turned with it. And I'm like, I didn't move at all. I stayed stationary because I was on a train, but the train itself changed the gyro position. <laughs> I'm like, what is happening right now? Why is my mix changing? Oh, that's why. <laughs> that's awesome, yeah. I've I've seen some uh, some experiments with games that you can play while you drive in a car. It's like like you sit in the back seat and the game actually like uses the movements of the car um to integrate in the in the world. Oh, wow. So you you don't get motion sickness that way. And you have like this kind of little game. Um, it was a nice experience, but like you said, it doesn't catch on because nobody is going to put a headset on in the back of the taxi or something, uh, getting driven, driven around. But the experiments, uh, I found it rather interesting. Um, having the real world movement influence the game world, that was interesting. So I would say this technology is very good, but I would want to see more use where spatial audio is used as a means to an end and not as a cool gimmick that we added because someone told us that we must have spatial audio now. <laughs> yeah, it is on our checklist. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And maybe for for new sound designers or aspiring sound designers that are looking to go into the direction of spatial audio, what, what advice would you give them to where to start, what to look for? and so on. <laughs> so firstly, I'm going to advise you to join our Discord channel. It's called the Sonic Sphere. And uh, we also have a YouTube channel where I post a lot of different advice, especially for beginner sound designers, with practical tips and tricks of things that you can do to make yourself more aware of sounds around you. Uh, and secondly, it's going to sound, well, connected to the theme of everything. Immerse yourself in it. Because I feel like the only way to succeed in something is to live it, breathe it, talk about it, sleep about it, uh, meet people that are in the industry and in the field, and eventually you'll get it. But the one way for me to get into a new subject is that. Immerse yourself. The immersion. That we are one and the same with that thing. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah, we're going to link all those in the show notes, of course, uh, the things we talked about. And... Um, yeah, maybe speaking about like your your work in particular, do you have anything uh, that you can share? Anything that you had a challenge where you had a challenge and um, how you overcome that? Anything that we might learn from? I'll give you a small challenge that I had. Um, one of the sounds that I had to record was for an app where part of the app is you click a button and a map is opening up. And for a couple of days, I thought, okay, this is a virtual map. It doesn't look like a real map. It's more like this like minority report UI system that is just levitating in the air. So how do I make a sound for that? And then for about a day, I just played with physical maps. Like I took a physical big map and I just opened it to see how it would feel like to open a really big map. Mm. And I decided to go with a Foley sound that I recorded. So I said, okay, what if I take a piece of paper and I just put my hand through it and go like a shh, and that's going to be my sound. And that was perfect in my head. In my head, that was the perfect plan. <laughs> I tried to record this and it was so quiet. I took a brand new paper, tried to brush my hand through it, and there was barely any sound. And I was trying to think, what do you do? How do you solve this? 
And eventually what I did is I took that piece of paper and I started crumpling it. And that created air pockets in the paper. So when I brushed my hand through it, suddenly you can hear the and all the sound that is coming from it. And I'm like, okay, that's brilliant. So what sound actually need is air pockets in order to move through them. This is like a resonance box. Um, so I crumpled the entire notebook that I had, like paper after paper after paper to get as many air pockets as I could. And that was the sound that I recorded. So you want to be a good sound designer, start noticing air pockets everywhere. Yeah, that's awesome. Air pockets, resonances. Yeah, I have, I have a similar experience with trying to have paper sounds and it was like frustrated the first time because it's just like you, it's like, oh, this doesn't make too any smooth. sound. Oh yeah. Yeah. Too smooth and too too low volume, too, yeah, not impactful. But yeah, it's always fun. And that's something that's always interesting for me in like the, the Foley part when I'm trying to do that or clothing moving or something like that. And you need those kind of not realistic sounds, but things that people will feel are realistic. And you, you try to find out how you can recreate them. Um, it's, yeah, it's always a fun challenge. Um, Same with elbow pasta. It's one of my favorite one. But if you're a sound designer, get yourself a packet of elbow pasta. Elbow The pasta. one that like has a hole in it and it kind of looks like a little elbow. You know what <laughs> I'm talking about? I, no, I've never heard that before. You like, have to send me a link. Look at pasta and some yeah. of them have like actual like, you know, they're hollow inside of it. So they can actually contain oh. some air and then you get the really good juicy sound. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Spaghetti doesn't make good sound. Yeah, spaghetti doesn't. Yeah, you're right. Maybe if you're like, if you like, uh, put the whole bowl into another bowl or something, but it's a specific sound if you need that. Interesting. Elbow pasta. Yeah, <laughs> telling you, man. Today I learned a new word, elbow pasta. That's <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, maybe when we are like on the, on the tips and tricks things, um, maybe also on the tool side, do you have any favorite like tools or software that helps you in your work? Uh, there is one that is open source. You can download it for free. I don't think that it's been updated recently. So it's called ATK, Ambisonic Toolkit. And they have uh, a framework for Reaper that you can work with. And that allows you for rendering of spatial audio, uh, ambisonic sound, and uh, binaural presets. So it's not exactly your ear, but it, uh, it's other ears that you can choose from. Uh, but it's a pretty good resource. That's interesting. Thank you. Going to link that as well. The other one I would say is the Sennheiser, I believe it's the, no, it's the Rode uh, website. So if you look for Soundfield by Rode, uh, they have an entire collection of ambisonic recordings that you can just take and use and try to play around with them that was already recorded by them. Yeah, that I can also recommend. I, I have that because I have the, the Rode ambisonics mic. and um, was, was I believe they also have a free plugin. Yeah, I, they have it. It is free. You don't have to have the microphone, but it's like... It was like in the notes of the microphone, yeah, so it was cool to have that as a free thing. Okay, yeah, maybe one other question that's also been on my mind is um, how does your like musical background influence your approach to sound? I would guess you would probably, of course, for sound design, try to use some techniques to evoke emotion in, in different musical sounds. Um, but maybe anything else that you, that you feel is like helps you with your musical background? Yes, I would say orchestration was the biggest tool that I have that I use on almost everything that I do. So whether I'm creating something for an actual orchestra, a drum set, or a sound asset for a big explosion, I'm going to try to see it as an orchestrator. 
And that means like what is on the low, what is on the mids, what is on the highs, and try to facilitate content in each one of them separately and listen to it together. So when you're creating sound assets, try to think about more than one layer. So layer your sounds usually by three or four different layers uh, that each one incorporate different part of the harmonic content. And if that does not work or you need more variations of it, you just start flipping them, which is what's happening when you orchestrate parts. So you would give one part to the violins, let's say, and then another part to the bassoon or to the tuba. The same happens with sound design, where if you have a crackling on the top and you have a sound on the bottom, like a big rumble on the bottom, you can actually reverse them and get more unique variations using that technique. That's a very cool tip. tip. Thank you. Awesome. Um, and yeah, then one last question that I have and that I always ask all of my guests is, um, what is the first sound you ever recorded and why did you record it? Oh, wow. I have a good one for you. I have a really good one. Uh, 2017, I built my virtual reality symphony orchestra and uh, I recorded all the sounds myself. That was before I knew anything about coding, but I knew sound. So I recorded all the music. And then by the end of it, I realized that when you finish the game, you need like a big applause. And hmm. I didn't have that sound. And I'm like, man, what am I going to do? I don't have this. I don't know how to even get this. Back then, I didn't know about sample libraries that you can just get that sound from. Um, and we ended up not adding that sound during the hackathon because we just ran out of time. But then they told us that we won. And we went on stage. And while I was on stage, I'm like, wait, wait, you know what? I need a really big applause for the end of this game. Can you all please just clap loudly together and I'll get a microphone out and I'll record it very quickly. And they're like, you know what? Sure. So I recorded it on stage and that was the sound that ended up in the game. So That is amazing. That is the yeah. actual clap for the app winning the MIT award. Oh, that's, that's absolutely amazing. That's, that's a really great... Great, great thinking that <laughs> recording that right away. Awesome. There are opportunities everywhere, telling you. Absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, the only thing that's really left is if you have any shout outs, uh, any other projects you want to put in the limelight, um, please feel free to. As I said, recently we started the Sonic Sphere, which is, it started as Twitch streams uh, for live sound and audio implementation into video games. And now it's a YouTube channel and a Discord channel that we're sharing tips and resources and tricks on how to become better sound designers. So please join us. We're going to put the link on the description. Awesome. Thanks again for joining me on the show. And yeah, I hope we speak to each other again in the future about possibly robot horse saddles. Thank you. Looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? We're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting on patreon.com slash fieldandfoley or ko 
slash fieldandfoley, where you gain early access to episodes in lossless format and can submit questions for our guests. Thank you for listening.